This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this is definitely not how I envisioned us gathering this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in a room by myself. There's no band behind me. Um, there's no people in the chairs around me. Yeah, so this is not ideal. I think we can all acknowledge that. Um, but uh, yeah, I do just want us to start this morning. Um, it's going to be a pretty short gathering because um, there's no one else in the room to do any of the things. Uh, but yeah, I just want us to take a time this morning just to acknowledge that this is hard um, and for us to know um, that even when we are scattered like this in our worship, we still have unity in Christ. His spirit, he is the one that still holds us together. Even when we have strange weeks like this, um, I've been really encouraged, even though you know, we've had to make some last minute adjustments. We've had to make some last minute calls this week. Um, all throughout the day yesterday, as getting communication and in communication, just about how different ways you guys are already serving each other, um, whether that's bringing people meals, just checking in on how people that are sick are doing, um, on how we were doing as, as we were trying to make some tough calls, um, people who were willing to step in if we were going to do an in-person gathering today. Um, I'm just so blessed by all of you and so thankful um, to, call, to call Emmaus my community. Um, and so before I, I jump into the text this morning and just share a word of encouragement from Psalm 18, um, I just want to invite all of you um, to just take a moment and pray with me. Let's pray for, let's pray for our city. Let's pray for um, our body as a church as we are facing a difficult uh, season right now in this week. Um, and yeah, there's maybe some uncertainty about what's going to lie ahead for the next couple of weeks. Um, so would you just... Take some time and, um, and pray with me. Father, at the end of the day, we want to recognize your holiness. God, I, I know it is, it's tempting for us to feel that you are far off when um, expectations about <laughs> how things like a global pandemic is going are broken. Um, God, it's hard when, yeah, things in our lives cause division in our relationships. God, they call, they cause uneasiness in our workplace. And yeah, God, just, just tension in our lives. God, it's not, um, it's not always enjoyable to, to think about the fact that we live in a fallen world. But God, I pray just as we, as we open this psalm, as we look to your word, God, as we consider the fact that we might be, most of us might be at home on our couch, but we are still one church. Jesus, you are still our one Lord. Um, and we can have confidence in that. We can have joy in every circumstance, as Paul says. We can have joy in that because you, Jesus, are our joy. It's not our health or our circumstance, it's you. And I just pray you would remind us of that 
as we open your word, as we consider who you are and what you've done for us as a church this morning. So, Jesus, thank you. That's your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Well, let me uh, start by reading the psalm for you, um, since I am the only one here to do it. <laughs> so, if you guys would, uh, if you haven't already, you can grab your Bible or your phone, turn with me to Psalm 18. It says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. And the Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent me from on high. He took me, and he drew me out of the many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into the broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me. From his statutes, I did not put away from me. For all his rules were before me, Oh, sorry. <laughs> and I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. For this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? 
the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that you, they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from the strife of the people, and you made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. For the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, that was a, that was a mouthful. Yeah, um, whoever is supposed to do scripture reading today should be thankful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's Psalm 18. And it's an interesting one for sure. And it's kind of funny because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Aaron and he was asking me, you know, how's your sermon going? How's your prep going? And, and stuff like that. And I kind of made this comment that I was like, well, I'm struggling to see Christ as clearly in this psalm as like the one you just preached. And I think it was, I think that was the week he had Psalm 15. Um, but yeah, I was super wrong. <laughs> there was a lot of Christ in this psalm. And it's actually, um, the more I read it, has been more and more encouraging. Um, yeah, so I, I hope that as we kind of walk through this text today, um, that that's what you see that we see Christ together in this. Um, I don't know for sure if this is going to be the last, this would have been the last psalm in our series for Christ in the Psalms this year, um, but it might get extended. Who knows? Obviously, things can change. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I've been super encouraged that all throughout this series, we've just, there's been so much of Jesus and these words from David and how God used him for that. Um, it's just been amazing. And Psalm 18 is not any different. Um, yeah, and just even right off the bat, uh, we definitely know who wrote this psalm. It was David. Um, so in the kind of introduction before the actual psalm, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who dressed the words of the song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul, he said. So this is a psalm of praise. It's a stark contrast uh, to last week, <laughs> what Aaron had to do. Um, 
Yeah, David is celebrating God's work. He's celebrating the deliverance that he's received for his life. And he does that by writing the third longest psalm, (laughs) which is why I was such a mouthful this morning. Um, Yeah, I thought it would just be kind of helpful for us before we jump to the actual text to to look at a little bit of context for this writing. Um, What's really interesting is that the psalm is actually recorded almost word for word back in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22. And we have, that's pretty much that whole chapter is the psalm. Um, And so the psalm comes at the end of David's life. So this is, this psalm is David looking back in his old age as king over all the things that God has done to save him from in in the many battles and in the many trials David has had over many decades. At the end of the day, he sees God as his refuge. He sees God as his deliverer. And he writes the third longest psalm to let him know how thankful he is. And so there are things in here, you know, when we talk about his enemies, and especially Saul, I mean, there's some pretty, some pretty big things that came up in David's life. You know, probably the, the most famous one is David and Goliath, um, where David is, is chosen to, to fight Goliath, this giant of a man, and he prevails and helps uh, defeat the Philistine army. And he is eventually anointed king um, because God loses favor with Saul. And Saul is super jealous of David. <laughs> um, you know, there's, a, there's one point where David is coming back into town uh, after a victory, and the crowds are singing, Saul has killed his, thou- has, you know, destroyed his thousands. David has won over his tens of thousands. And Saul is not super happy with that, <laughs> that everyone liked David more than him. And um, yeah, so there's a, a really long story arc of David kind of running from Saul, running from the king that he's serving. Um, and ultimately, um, Saul dies and David becomes king. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happens as David is king and one of his sons, Absalom, betrays him and tries to overthrow him. Um, and even in that, um, yeah, there's a lot of David running, running for his life again. It's kind of a, a common theme of David's life. <laughs> so he can't stay in one place for long. Um, but yeah, so all in all, that's kind of the context of what David is writing about, that uh, most of, a lot of his life is spent fearing for his life. And at the end of the day, the psalm is about what David recognized that he needs from God, that he's not sufficient of himself to provide from himself. And that's why he's able to give God glory, to write the psalm, the psalm of encouragement of God's deliverance, because he recognizes his need. And so here is kind of where we're going. David reflects and recognizes that he needs and that we need God's deliverance. He recognizes, and we need to recognize, we need God's righteousness. We need to be made right with God. And third, that we need his inheritance. Ultimately, if, if we're, we're reading these Psalms and we're looking to them to see Christ in them, then we're going to see that the way that David talks about himself is how we describe Christ. He's describing Christ, ultimately, as a prophet. And so we see 
an inheritance that David receives as Christ's inheritance, and ultimately an inheritance that we also need to be delivered. And so those are kind of the three needs we're going to talk about as we break up this uh, very long text. Uh, yeah, so first let's jump into talking about how David shows his need for deliverance. So uh, jumping into verse 1. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. So David is kind of sharing what we already established as the motivation of the psalm. It's thankfulness. Thankfulness for being saved from his enemies and giving up any credit of his own as being capable uh, to be his own fortress or shield or strength. In the next couple of verses, he describes the severity of his need for God's intervention. In verse 4, he says, The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David's talking about the severity of his enemy's efforts to destroy him here. In every way, as we kind of already talked about, David has faced death. It's kind of one of the common threads of his life. And most of us have not had armies of enemies encompassing us. <laughs> if you have, I would love to hear that story and how you made it out. Um, but you know, I mean, even at one point, uh, I thought this is interesting for myself. Uh, David is in Saul's court, and he's playing the lyre and just hanging out doing him a favor, and Saul starts to think about how jealous he is of David, and he throws a spear at him, which apparently, or multiple spears, which apparently David is able to dodge. Um, I have yet to have spears thrown at me while I'm uh, leading worship or any of the other band members. Um, hopefully, it stays that way. Um, but, but yeah, the point is, um, we don't really share the circumstances with David, but I know that and I'm sure that a lot of us have experienced hurt or suffering or trauma. Um, to where we feel entangled by death. To where we despair emotionally or physically or spiritually, mentally. On some level, we understand what it feels like to feel that hopeless in the face cruel reality of the fallen world and the cruel reality of the sinful world. Some level, we can understand David's plight here. Even if we um, haven't been surrounded by armies of enemies or had spears thrown at us while we're playing guitar. <laughs> Whatever David is feeling in those moments, it's pretty clear he had one option. And he gives it to us in verse 6. It says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. See, David sees his option when he is feeling that intense <laughs> of a feeling of defeat, is to cry out to God. It's his only option. Because when he cries out to God, he knows that it isn't a distant, callous God 
is a God of compassion and mercy. God is a God who delivers his people when they are willing to seek him as their deliverance. And David, he goes in length to describe just how powerful God is to deliver him. Verse 7, he says, The earth reeled and rocked. Foundations also the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. And smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Filling coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds of dark water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. You know, we can keep going on and on through this verse, but the point that David is making is God is much more powerful than him. (laughs) If he has command over nature and the ability to create storms and destruction from his own power, how much more capable is God to deliver him from his enemies and the entanglement of death than David himself? That's ultimately what he's saying here, what he wants people to know about his God. But if you flip through David's story, you're not going to see those specific things happening when God delivers him. But if you go back further, you kind of do. Commentator James Johnson, uh, he points this out in a way uh, of David talking about this. This is super helpful. He says, David is describing God's deliverance of him in a reflection of how he has delivered his people in the past. So verses 7 through 11, it's kind of a reference of God's presence when he comes down, when his presence comes to dwell on Mount Sinai. When he comes to dwell on Mount Sinai, there's literally lightning and, and clouds of darkness, and the earth trembles at his presence. And we see pillars of fire and storms, and we, we think of the cloud that followed the Israelites through the desert and they're wandering in the wilderness. In verses 12 through 14, they paint a picture of of God's presence with Joshua as he's battling for the promised land. Verse 15 is pretty clearly a, a depiction of the parting of the Red Sea, the earth laid bare that we see in Exodus when God saves his, when he delivers his people from Egypt. What David is doing He's saying that the same God who's done all of this, all of this for his people that he loves, surely he is a God who can come and do it again to deliver me, his anointed king. That's what David's confidence is. His confidence is in the faithfulness of his God, who he knows to be merciful God. And David reveals so that's why he cried out to God. Verse 17 said, He rescued me from my strong enemy and those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. In a moment of humility, David shares that he knew he needed God, the God who saved Israel to save him, because he wasn't sufficient on his own. If it wasn't clear before, it's pretty clear now. 
David, I think, is brave enough to say here what I think most of us often feel but are afraid to admit that we aren't strong enough to keep our enemies at bay. That ultimately we are no match on our own for the brutality of a fallen world. How many of us would choose to go through this pandemic on our own? Certainly more that I could bear. So we need, if we're willing to admit that, it means we need someone. We need someone to save us, to come alongside us. There's only one who can do that. And his name is Jesus. David recognizes that, that he needs more than himself. So he shows us first that we need deliverance. But next he's going to show us that we also need righteousness. And here's why. Here's what he says. He says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. And I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So David's saying, I know God did this for me because of these things, <laughs> because of my righteousness. Saying God saw him as righteous. Saying God saw him as someone who kept the law, that he did the right things, and that's why God had mercy on him. But I want to pause there for a second, because if you know much about David's story, uh, you know that that all sounds a little bit far-fetched, <laughs> to be honest. And I thought, again, uh, the commentator Johnston did a really great uh, way of spelling this out, where he's, you know, let's look back at, you know, the most famous failure of David, is the story of him and Bathsheba. And Johnston kind of points out that literally he broke like seven of the Ten Commandments within that like couple of day period. Um, here's how he kind of makes his case for that. He says, you know, first of all, uh, he saw Bathsheba and he coveted her from his neighbor. You know, so that's the Tenth Commandment. Then he slept with her committing adultery, which is the seventh. He had her husband Uriah killed so he could cover it up, which is the sixth commandment, which ultimately comes down to stealing someone's wife away from them, which would be the eighth commandment. Then he lied about it, which is the ninth commandment, uh, which brought shame on his family, probably, and his parents, fifth commandment. And ultimately, as the anointed king of Israel as the anointed of God, brought shame upon God's name, which is the third commandment. So all in all, not so great of a dude as he's spelling out here. So why is he describing himself in that way? It seems a little bit audacious. I think two things, really. One, at the end of the day, Scripture describes David as a man after God's heart. 
he has sin, like all of us, but he's also repentant. That's pretty clear in Psalms like Psalm 51. And even when the prophet comes to kind of confront him with the parable of his sin, David's response when he realizes what he did is, is immediately repentance before God. But more than that, I think the other thing is this, that David is prophesying of Jesus here. Like we said already, this psalm is not just about David. It's ultimately about Christ. And that's what's happening here. All of this has been pointing to Jesus. Look back at verses four through six. Isn't that what Jesus experienced on the cross? The cords of death, Sheol entangling him. The difference between David and Jesus is that when the cords of death entangled him, Jesus wasn't rescued from them. When Jesus cried out to God, when he says, why have you forsaken me? God's response is turning his face away. When God's wrath for sin was finally poured out, it was poured out on Christ, on the cross, and as Jesus died, the power of God's wrath against his enemies was displayed in the, the foundations of the earth quaking and the sky growing dark, the, the curtain in the temple being torn in two. Things that were physically impossible were happening when God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Everything David is describing and how God dealt with his enemies is how God dealt with Christ when he took on our sin, when he died our death on the cross. So when we look at these verses and we say, how could this be David? We know it's more than David. He's describing Jesus. He's describing who Christ was, what we desperately need. We need his righteousness. Christ accomplished what he accomplished on the cross because he was righteous, because his hands were clean of sin, because he was the one that kept all the rules and the statutes and was blameless. Not David, not us. Ultimately, it was Christ. And in that, he became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect mercy for us and taking on the wrath that we deserved. We were the enemies of God, but we have now been made sons and daughters. That's the gospel. And that's what David is showing us here. So again, we need his deliverance. And ultimately, we need Christ's righteousness. With that description that David says of him, that that's why Christ, that, that God has mercy in him, and we need what Christ has, ultimately. And so, if we recognize those two needs, and we recognize we need his inheritance, we need to inherit that righteousness, to inherit God's favor, of mercy. Ultimately, when 
we, we see that. And we, we can have confidence in this because God hears our cries for help. If we, if we truly are in Christ, and when we cry for help, he sees his perfect son. Christ, what's happening when we say we need his righteousness? Ultimately, Christ's atonement is a trade. <laughs> he took our blame. He took our unrighteousness. And instead, he lavished on us his blamelessness, his righteousness. That's his inheritance. And David goes on to say, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. The blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. The crooked, you make yourself some torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. See, David shows us the way that we gain access to that gift, that gift of Christ's righteousness, to gain access to this inheritance, is to humble ourselves. God saves a humble people. If I understand this right, we receive his gift of grace by faith and that we recognize our need, that we're willing to admit, God, you have something I don't. I'm willing to cry out to you because you're my only option. I think that's what David is trying to say here. That's why I think this psalm is showing us these needs. How can you call upon God for deliverance? How can you need his deliverance if you don't believe you need it? How can you receive Christ's righteousness if you're already self-righteous? If you're sufficient on your own, why would you need Christ's sufficiency? God saves a humble people. And for those humble people, who have the gift of grace by their faith that God is the one who's mighty to save, that battle is won. Those enemies are destroyed. Sin and death have no power here. David says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Emmaus, that is our confidence when we go into battle, that we have a refuge in our God. In other words, if you let go of your self-sufficiency, trust in Christ's mercy and the covering of his righteousness, his blamelessness, his humility towards you. You have a refuge in him. Like I said, sin and death have no power to defeat you. He spends the next 12 verses describing how it was that God gave him everything he needed to prevail, how God equipped him, David, for the battle, <laughs> to go in with confidence, knowing that he had a refuge in God, knowing that his victory was won because God was with him. And in a truer sense, we can read those verses that we can see that this is the confidence and the power we have by his spirit in us. I think my favorite line is in verse 42 when he 
says that he beats his enemies fine as dust before the wind. <laughs> Some Mortal Kombat stuff right there. <laughs> but um, yeah, that is, that's the confidence that we can have, that, that our enemies of sin and death under the victory of Christ are totally ruined, that there's nothing to fear. Paul makes the same point in Philippians. And he says this, I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not on our own we're able to face all the things that come our way in a fallen world. It's not on our own that we're able to deal with our own sin, our own shame, our enemies. It is the power of the Spirit working in us, transforming us to become more like Christ. The covering of Christ's righteousness, this blessed inheritance we have received, that is ultimately the victory that Christ has won already over our sin and death. And I think that's why David is saying we need his inheritance. Again, we need his deliverance and to be delivered from our self-sufficiency if we're going to win. <laughs> and ultimately, we need his righteousness because God gives favor, God gives mercy to those who keep his law. And ultimately, that is Christ. The only one who did that, that could ever have accomplished that, was Jesus. So we need that from him. And ultimately, that is our inheritance. It's an inheritance we need, is Christ and his power and his spirit working in us. As David ends this psalm, he speaks of what God has given him, but I can't help but see this as Christ's victory over sin and death and Christ being enthroned as king, the victorious king. So in verse 43, said, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. It's a picture of Christ's authority as the truest king over all creation, over all peoples. And again in verse 46, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. That's Christ's inheritance. He's become the head of the nations. He's been granted victory over all his enemies. He's been given victory over the man of violence. He's defeated death self. It's inheritance that if you believe in Christ, if you call him yours, that is your inheritance too. It's an inheritance that we all need. It requires a response, right? I mean, if you receive a gift like that, what are we left to do? And honestly, when we talk about the battle being won, if the battle is won, if the fight, we've been trying to fight on our own and our own sufficiency, that's been declared a victory, what is there left to do? David doesn't leave us hanging there either. 
He says, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. To David, the obvious answer is worship. We celebrate what God has done. The victory is won, then what we have left to do is to welcome the king home, <laughs> to prepare him for his triumphal return. Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter one in the opening that this inheritance we have in Christ, it's deliverance, and it is all for Christ's glory. Our salvation is for God's glory. For us to say, look what God has done. God, my rock. God, my salvation. It's all for him. David calls us to respond with praise. But not just that. He says he's going to share it. He's going to sing amongst the nations. As Christ shares his inheritance with us, we are supposed to share it with others. That's our mission. Our mission is, is to, to make Christ known, to go out amongst the nations, to go out amongst the people who don't yet know him, to say, there is a king ruling and reigning right now who has an inheritance, who has a victory over the, this battle that we have with this fallen world with the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own sin and our lives. We have a king who has victory over that. And we are to share that truth, share that gospel, that we inherit his righteousness. We inherit salvation through him by our faith in him, by trusting in the king. In doing that, we join in his kingdom coming to earth, prepare for his return. In the same way that John the Baptist said, prepare the way for the Lord, because he knew Christ was coming, we too get to prepare the way for when he comes back, <laughs> by telling people of the king who is returning. So that's great. Let's say that you see this you see the same needs that I see from looking at this. You recognize that you need deliverance. You recognize that Christ has righteousness that we don't. And you see that his inheritance is something you desperately need. And you want that gift. And you agree that we should respond like David. You agree that our response to something as amazing as that should be worship, should be gathering together <laughs> to proclaim that to each other, to our king, and ultimately to the world, that we have that inheritance, that we've been given that righteousness, that we have deliverance, that those needs are met in Christ. Say you agree with all that. What does that look like practically? I would hate to, to read such an encouraging psalm and for us not to, to really know what to do with it. <clears throat> I think there's one really helpful question to ask that has been stirring around in my heart a lot as I've been thinking about this. I think it comes down to this. Where am I relying on my own sufficiency? 
I think it's important because if we don't recognize our need for Christ, we don't have much motivation to worship him. If we don't recognize that we need Christ, what motivation do we have to talk about him? If we aren't, if we aren't joyful, if we aren't glad in this deliverance, if we aren't trusting in his righteousness and relying on our own, if we are rejecting the inheritance that is ours, what motivation would we have to worship him, to share about him? At least in a way that's not self-righteous. I think that's good to evaluate. It's, it's good to evaluate where your heart is in this. Where your heart, do you, do you see your need for Christ are you still trying to white-knuckle it through whatever it is you're going through? Do you trust in Christ when there's a global pandemic blowing away your expectations? Are you scrambling to find out more, to have some kind of control over what you can do, over your situation? Do you trust in Christ when your relationships are hard? Are you trying to to somehow make yourself better, make yourself the person you think that other person wants you to be? Do you trust in Christ when you've lost your job? <laughs> Do you trust in Christ when fill in the blank, whatever it is you're going through, whatever difficulty there is, whatever obvious things are going on that you know is attributed to the sinfulness and the fallenness of this world? Do you trust in Christ are you looking to yourself, looking to other things to fulfill that need? But as David says, is only found in Jesus. It's only found in his God, in our God. I think that's good to evaluate. It's good to be honest with your GC about that. It's good to be honest with your DNA, with your roommates, with your spouses. Where do you see that resistance in yourself? To see Christ as the one who's going to have victory in this battle, not yourself. And taking it a step further, when you see that pattern in someone else, to be merciful with how you might approach them. To be merciful when they come to you with it. You know, if we're to do community together, then we should be open with each other about where we are trying to be sufficient in our own. And we should be speaking the truth in love. We should be merciful in our response because, you know, as David said, God is merciful to the merciful. So I hope you consider that question. I, and I hope that ultimately that you would be encouraged that that you're not alone, Emmaus. That we have a God that is with us. That because of Christ, we have a God who is for us in every circumstance, in plenty, and in need. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength because He is sufficient. 
when we go into the world that's filled with darkness, we carry with us marvelous light of his grace because ultimately Jesus has already won. And what we are doing isn't waging a war. We're proclaiming the good news that the battle is won and the king is coming home. That's our celebration. That's our gospel we get to share. That's the truth that we get to live in and the identity we get to own. That we don't belong to our failure. We don't belong to sin and death. We're not slaves to fear. We are children of God. We have Christ's inheritance, everything afforded to him. We have through him. Praise be to God for that gift. That in Christ, whatever we're going through, even when we sit on our couches and, and feel alone and isolated and discouraged today, that that isn't the final word. Christ has that. He has the final word over sin and death in this fallen world. And I hope that's encouraging to you this morning. That Christ is good and we can have confidence and rest in that. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for that truth. Thank you for that gift. A gift we don't deserve. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lot more like David than maybe we're willing to admit. Or sometimes we see ourselves one way, but before you, we are clearly another. But Jesus, thank you that you have given us a new identity, that you making us a new creation. That because of your inheritance that we have, our old self was put away and we are covered by you. Identity is not the things that we've gone through, good or bad decisions we've made. <laughs> Jesus, ultimately, it's our identity is found in you. Perfect son who has victory and is equipping us to join you in that through your spirit. So I just pray that would be encouragement to us. I pray that, that we wouldn't be silent about that, about that joy, not with each other and certainly not with those who don't know it. So Jesus, just would you help us to respond even in our own today, even though we can't be gathered as one body in the same room, Jesus, would you just turn our hearts, tune our hearts to sing your praise and give you glory. And it's by your name and your work that we pray. Amen.